0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the VolRath Feed. I'm Rich Rupp, product trainer and chef here at the VolRath Company, and as always, with my co-host, digital media specialist and our producer, Justin Pearson. Hey, Justin, how is it today?
1: Hey, Rich. It is going well, despite the frigid temperatures outside. Yeah. Well,
0: you know, are we getting old or what? I don't know. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, that that goes without saying... (laughs)
0: We used to not maybe complain about this as much.
1: Oh, I've, I've always i always remember complaining about the cold and yet i refuse to move below the frost line so you know i my my complainings really shouldn't be uh listened to with any source of credibility
0: <laughs> well you know uh some of us like this weather and uh might be a good lead into our best friend here and buddy a co-host uh, on the show with us nate Wuffle, who is uh part of the social group uh, social guru group here at the volrath company and he helps us wrap up the show and i just have to say to everyone if you multitask and listen to this show listening to nate's recap at the end of the show is a great way to make sure you got all those nuggets out of this show all the major thoughts and themes from our guest nate just has that ability to sum everything up in a, a short time and once again we'll have nate with us uh throughout the show, but that's at the end as well to to give us that recap. Well, are we ready for another great episode today, Justin?
1: I'm always ready for for a good episode. I know. (laughs) And and I think I could count on one hand, I mean, they've all been great episodes, but uh, I can count on one hand where they were probably just great episodes and not outstanding episodes.
0: You know what we always laugh about is sometimes when we, we won't say, of course, which topics or whatever, but sometimes we're like, well, I wonder how this one's going to go. and then. Like every time, we're like, wow, that was a good show, with, right? With, it's just every single time.
1: Without fail, Like, oh. there's going to be a time where I'm like, I really have no interest. I've never thought about this topic before, and I don't plan on thinking about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. And my mind is completely changed by, by the end of the conversation. And, and not yep. only that, it seems like I see that topic come up frequently over the next week. And maybe it's just like the same thing about when you buy a new car. You see your car all around, you know, the town and you'd be like, oh, everybody has the same car that I do. You know, it's just you're more acutely yeah. aware of it because you're directly involved in it. So and that's kind of what I like about our guests is they bring to light these topics and these conversations and these these points that I may have not thought about in the past. And then w- once we we talk about it in depth, I see it happening all around me. And it's it's
0: way more relevant than it was before. For sure. For sure. And it just shows if you're in this industry, uh, we talk about, we cover the whole you know, realm of food service. It just goes to show if you're in this in- industry, these things, y- you find nuggets in them, right? You, you find it interesting. You didn't know about something and all the different areas and, and ways that our, our industry touches each other, the, the different parts of the industry. It just is, it's kind of cool. I mean, if you're in it, you'll find our show interesting. That's all I can say, right?
1: Yeah, and I would even go as far to say that even if you're not in the industry, it's still fun and entertaining and informational, and you're still going to get something out of it.
0: That's that's a, that's a fact.
1: I'm biased, of course, though.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Justin, you know that when we're talking about everyone out there listening to this, a lot of the topics we talk about do affect them or are part of their lives, even if they're not in food service. Right? I mean, think about ordering food. Mm -hmm. You think you might be ordering from the restaurant, but it might be coming third party. It may be coming from a ghost kitchen. It may not be what you think it is. So that's an interesting way to talk about our guest today, right? Nice lead in there. It's a solid point. Uh, Today, everyone. So on our show, we have Chris Baggett, who is the founder of Cluster Truck and several other food startups. He was a tech guy who is using his skills and uh, knowledge in our industry. One of several we've interviewed uh, kind of came into our industry from another background, and tech seems to be, to be one of them. They see opportunities to do something a little better than it's been done in the past, and they get in. Mm-hmm.
1: One of the really exciting things about today's guest is many of the things that we've been faced with over the past few years, the critical advancement of, of things within the food service industry, Chris was addressing these long before everyone else was forced to deal with these issues in food service he's really been on the cusp of a lot of these these trends and I'm I'm looking forward to talking about how he had foresight f- for that and recognizing trends and where the food service industry was going and then also maybe getting some some insight as to where we're going to be at after the another year or so you know who knows what's going to happen <laughs> pandemically speaking is that a thing
0: pandemically speaking i think it works speaking, there might be i'm gonna think start using the words that you learned through the pandemic
1: right Gosh. you know webster's got their work cut out for
0: him for this That's next edition <laughs> <laughs> all right everybody ready or not here we go with us today chris baggett who's the founder of cluster truck chris welcome to the volrath feed
2: Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having
0: me. Thank you. We appreciate uh, you spending some time with us today. and I know we're going to have a great show. We've got a lot of cool things I know you've got uh, going on and we'll talk about. But before we get into some of that, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your background and what led you into food service. We always kind of talk about our show, and it's all things with food service. And we've had some people with varying backgrounds in tech that at some point or another find their way to food service. And how did that happen for you? F- f-
2: foolishly found their way. To <laughs>
0: okay, we're, we're par for the yeah. course with most
1: people though. <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a common thread.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, it's, um, yeah, how hard can it be? That's my quote. Uh, um, but um, yeah, so as you said, my background has been primarily in software. Um, I've been very fortunate uh, in 2000, co-founded a software company that we were able to IPO in 2012. And later sold to Salesforce, uh, it was the largest Salesforce acquisition at the time ever. Um, and, uh, had another software company that we, uh, we spun up and, and was acquired by Oracle, um, relatively quickly. Uh, so, you know, those were a good few years and, uh, and along the way, I got involved in sustainable farming and, uh, you know, I read the Omnivore's Dilemma and, and, um uh, thought, you know, how hard can this be? And, you know, somebody's got to do something. So we started this regenerative farm business here in Indiana where we live, uh, where we direct market, uh, meat we raise on, on pasture, no drugs, no GMOs. Um, that is a pretty good business. One of the problems I ran into was, uh, you know, when you process a steer, uh, you get a small amount of steaks and a lot of hamburger. And I was kind of having this imbalance where I would be selling out of steaks and stockpiling hamburger. So the clever solution to that, I thought, was I'm going to open a hamburger stand and then I can retail the hamburger myself. And that actually worked out pretty well. Um, along the way, um, technology started getting into the restaurant business, including like online ordering and delivery. And this, you know, now we're into 2015 uh, and... and um, You know, we were doing this and and there was a lot of friction and a lot of pain and not much money. And, you know, the system wasn't very good. And, you know, unbelievably, seven years later, the system still isn't very good. Um, And um, But it was just one of those things where you're like looking at these problems. And then from a software background, like, well, it should work this way. It should work that way. And, and, you know, and I I saw um, Matt Maloney, uh, uh, founder of Grubhub, Uh, go public, you know, so now we're, like I said, 2015, watching Jim Cramer and, and, you know, as he was talking, you know, he was talking about the benefits to these restaurants and how they bring this incremental volume. And, and in my previous life, uh, the company we co-founded was called Exact Target. We were email marketing and marketing software, and uh, we did a lot of the Groupons and, you know, Groupon told the same kind of story about incremental volume calling on these small businesses and we're going to bring you this incremental volume, the small business person, when they hear incremental volume, they feel like it's extra business, right? It's like frictionless and doesn't cost anything and it's not stressful. And it's like extra. And, um, and the reality is that usually that incremental business is the most disruptive to your business, right? They're not your real customers. They're discount shoppers. They're transactional. Um, and they actually mess up your business more than they help your business. And so that kind of got me on the path to how would I do food delivery? And the solution we came up with was that this system has to be vertically integrated. Like you have to control everything. Um, It can't be this incremental piece of, here's a restaurant, here's a piece of software, here's another piece of software, here's third-party drivers, and all of these moving parts. Um, You know, it has to be one seamless system that is designed from the ground up to work together.
0: So that got you to ClusterTruck?
2: Yes, so, okay. so then um, I had a, a CTO at my company called Compendium Software that was acquired by Oracle, um, and, and he was under a two-year contract, and literally two years in one day, we started ClusterTruck. And we worked on code for most of a year. Um, we opened our very first location um, in April of 2016. And that, that is cluster, cluster track.
0: Okay. And so from the the restaurant side, the actual kitchen side of it it is, it is not a, it's a brick and mortar structure, but it's not a seat restaurant. There are no seats. It's 100% delivery. Exactly. So what are the major things you did differently?
2: Well, let me say like, you know, that we, you know, we really focused on quality. Like you're never going to hear any, any piece of marketing coming out of DoorDash or any of them talking about quality. Right. And the fact is that in the restaurant business, the best product is going to win. Right. Like, you know, if your hamburger is not good, I'm not going to do it. And, 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 um, you know, what we thought about was what are the enemies of quality? And the, the, the answer we came up with was time. Um, you know, uh, there was an article written by David Chang, you know, back in the day when he was doing Ando and Maple, and he talked about this Philly cheesesteak and, you know, I you know, worked on this restaurant or this recipe painstakingly for six months to come up with a Philly cheesesteak that would survive 45 minutes. And we're like, dude, solve the 45 minute problem. So being vertically integrated timing of my driver proximity, my customer proximity, and everything that's happening in the kitchen to allow me to know for the customer before they even place the order exactly when they're going to get the order, which we hit about 96% of the time, but also how long is that item going to take relative to everything else that's happening in my kitchen, right? We all know a cheeseburger could be three and a half minutes, but if I got 40 cheeseburgers ahead of you, your cheeseburger is not going to be three and a half minutes, right? Right. Um, if pad thai takes seven minutes and my driver is 20 minutes away from the kitchen, don't start cooking the pad thai until that driver uh, is only seven minutes from the kitchen,
0: right? Well, boy, you've really got it dialed in then that this all works together and comes together at once. It could only work with, with, with vertical integration.
2: You know, in our menu, we have 90 items. So we're not only cooking a single type of food that we have to know where the driver is and when to start cooking that food. We have to know everything else that's happening on that particular station. So as I mentioned before, you know, we know how long a cheeseburger takes, but when will that cheeseburger be able to be started based on everything else that's happening inside the box, right? Inside the kitchen. And then we also have to coordinate the cook times because our goal is to cook everything so it comes together at the same time as the drivers arriving at the kitchen. So if we've got a Pad Thai at seven minutes and a cheeseburger at three and a half minutes and a bowl of soup that takes 30 seconds, start the Pad Thai when the driver's six minutes or seven minutes away from the kitchen. Three minutes later, start the cheeseburger. Two and a half minutes later, start the soup. Everything is packaged and ready as the driver's arriving to the kitchen and we're delivering to the kitchen. We have a very tight delivery zone. We only deliver within six or seven minutes of our kitchens. Um, what that does is, first of all, it ensures that your food is never going to be more than six or seven minutes old, um, which is the key to the quality. Obviously, start with good ingredients mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, actually cook food. Um, you know, we're scratch kitchen. We prep everything. But but the real magic is in that timing. The food is never old. If you go to Google and look at any of our six locations, um, you'll see five-star reviews across the board all day long, brand new reviews. Every day, people are... Literally gushing because they're so surprised that the food is so hot and fresh.
0: What a concept.
2: <laughs> the the
1: public has gotten used to lowering their standards for delivery. I think you've solved a critical component of that math problem and and that's coordinating with your drivers and which is impossible to do with third party delivery. And I, I would be willing to bet that we have very similar viewpoints on on the way that third party delivery has been allowed to develop into what it is today.
2: And and you're right. The customer has become so tolerant of poor quality that when you introduce good quality, you know, at comparable prices, they're, they're, they're blown away. They're, Mm. you know, so, you know, our marketing becomes word of mouth after a period of time. Um, And we have a really nice, robust group ordering functionality. We're very big in offices uh, and workplaces, hospitals. Um, you know, we're very disruptive to the idea of catering, right. Which is another place that nobody goes to for quality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I had a meeting here today. We had 42 people. We put in our order for lunch at probably 1205, like again, on an app and I can share a code and everybody has the code. They all jump on the same order. I paid for it, but people can also pay individually. 42 top was delivered in 29 minutes. Um, and the kitchen had no heads up that a 40 top was coming, right? Um, wow. you know, that's the, the, that's the thing. It's just so horizontally and so organized from a data science standpoint that, um, you know, doesn't matter how many <laughs> orders come.
1: I mean, my mind is just a little bit blown right now at that, at that, that concept oh, that, that this is, this is happening. And it's also surprising that it's it's taken so long for someone to do what you're doing and to do it right. It's, it's like you said before, people just becoming tolerant and the expectations lowered and that's not okay. It's not a fair representation of a restaurant's overall quality and pushing the status quo doesn't, doesn't do anything to help anybody.
2: It's really hard. Like, let me say we've been having this for six years and we have learned a lot and had a lot of false starts and mistakes and open kitchens, closed kitchens, you know, figuring out models, cooking. Um, you know, I think we're really fortunate in that, um, You know, we come from a software background, you know, as our DNA, we've been able to bring on culinary people. You know, honestly, I think one of our breakthroughs compared to a lot of our competitors like the David Changs of the world, if you will, and this is nothing against David Chang, who's a god, but, you know, they come at it from this super highbrow place. You know, a lot of these startups is like, okay... We're going to deliver and everything's going to be $10 and it's going to be organic and it's going to be locally sustainable, you know, and it's going to be like, you're just trying to check too many boxes and, you know, we just want it to be good, mm-hmm. um, right. you know, and, and, and start with uh, that. Know, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, like, you know, and, important part. and, you know, I, I have a sustainable farm, like I'm organically certified, but you know, it's not my beef in the menu here. It's, you know, we're getting the best hamburger we can from, well, U.S. foods in this case, but you know, it's, it's, it's recognizable, it's accessible, the price point is right. We're also able to be profitable and we are also able to deliver for free. Mm. Um, So we, we, we become the, um, not only the quality vendor, but also the, the cost, right? Because we don't have all these fees um, in this system. You know, one of the magic things here is, is about the driver efficiency. So we don't charge a delivery fee, but the customer meets the vehicle. If we're in the suburbs, we do bikes in some cities, but most of it's in cars. Um, And the customer tracks that car like they're tracking an Uber. They see when it's leaving the kitchen. They know what car they're looking for. They have to come outside and take the food from the driver. Um, So the driver never has to get out of the car. So that does a couple of really good things for us. One is um, we get it type of driver that would never drive for DoorDash, right? Like, like a word we use a lot is dignity, right? Mm. Like being a DoorDash driver is the worst job in the gig economy, right? Um, you know, you have to park your car, get out, go into a restaurant, all eyes turn to look at you. Nobody wants you there, right? The customers who are standing there don't want you there. The employees don't make an extra nickel dealing with you, right? They're not getting tipped. They're not getting, you know, so it's always this friction experience that is uncomfortable. Then you have to go back to your car. Then you got to drive to the customer, which could be two minutes away or 25 minutes away, right? Um, Then you got to get out of your car again and go find the customer. And you're the front line of disgruntlement, right? Because that order took 70 minutes and I was told it'd be 20 and the food's not going to be good. And, you know, so that's, That's not often a like super warm and friendly engagement. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in our case, like, again, we're highly predictive. We'll tell you when your food's going to come. And sometimes it might be 70 minutes, but the food's never more than seven minutes old, right? 70-minute delivery on DoorDash, my food is 68 minutes old, right? (laughs) You know? um, Yes. But the other thing that does is... um, we get drivers who wouldn't, who don't want to interact with people that much, right? So we have a lot of really like retired people. We have like college professor type retired people. We have a lot of women. Um, We have um, uh, got a few um, disabled veterans. Um, You know, people don't walk well. Um, You know, I've got some drivers that, you know, this one woman who's like one of my gold standards, you know, she's been with us since day one um, in Indy, she drives with her child in the car. Right. She only works lunch five days a week, basically about three hours a day. And she doesn't have to worry about daycare. And she has a the 1099. They're all 1099s, you know, in the in the high 20s to low 30s every year. Like, you know, this is more money than she could make doing anything without having to worry about childcare and amazingly decent hours just doing lunches. Right. Um, so the quality of our driver goes way up. Um, and that's reflected. Like when you read our reviews, like the poor DoorDash driver does a lot of work for you. And most of the reviews, if you go to Yelp or Google, are negative, right? Oh, a driver, blah, 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 you know. And ours are like, this is a 15-second interaction. Here's your bag. Thank you. But they smile because they're happy and they're making a lot of money. But the other thing that seven minutes does, it gets them four jobs an hour, right? So seven minutes out, seven minutes back, 14-minute round trip, and we're handing them another bag. So they can get four jobs an hour, which enable us, which enable them to make a whole lot more money, right? If a DoorDash driver can get 1.2 jobs an hour um, and ours are getting four to six, um, you know. So we we, we wanted to take the worst job in the gig economy, which is delivering prepared food and make it the best. And we believe we have. 75% of our drivers in all of our kitchens started the first week that, that that kitchen was open like they don't leave, like they, we have no turnover. We spend nothing on recruiting. Um, You know, I've been told, I don't know this, but I've been told the third party delivery companies spend more money recruiting drivers than they do recruiting customers. I don't know. That's true, but I've heard that and I believe it because I see them and we see their drivers. As soon as we open, you know, we post on a Uber eats Facebook page and we're full and because we can get four jobs an hour to six jobs an hour, we need a lot less drivers, right? So, you know, we do a four or five hundred order lunch. Uh, you know, Uber needs Uber eats needs four hundred drivers. You know, we need forty. Wow. Hmm. One
1: of the biggest uh, problems that I've seen as as a end user with online ordering through basically any any restaurant is if I want to place an order for future pickup. More often than not, that order comes in, it gets made, and it's sitting around until until it, it, that, that time that I pick it up. Uh, I've experienced it multiple times with I won't say who, but to me, and I, I'm speaking from, from an ignorant standpoint, it seems like a pretty simple algorithm that would plunk that order in when it needs to be made so that it isn't sitting around forever. And it's I don't know why so many people haven't figured that out. What have you guys done so that or is that an option for somebody to place an order for like two hours from now, as opposed to ASAP?
2: Absolutely. And and we encourage that, um, you know, you know, our customers learn like when are good delivery times and like, like we're super busy at lunch, especially, well, now when the workplaces are coming back and it's four degrees in Indy and, you know, things like that. So, you know, our lunch times will go up. So people who schedule an order, are first in line. So if you say I want my food at 12:15, um, and you scheduled that two hours ahead, at 12:15 yours is going to be the first order to cook. You're going to jump the line to make sure that that your order is done when you say. Versus someone just randomly dropping it at 12:15, and it may be a 30-minute delivery. And honestly, a day like this, I haven't looked, but it could be a 70-minute <laughs> <laughs> delivery. Uh, either way, the customer still orders from us because they know that they can trust that time and they know their food's made fresh for them. It's not sitting around for 70 minutes. We don't do pickup, right? We deliver for free. So, and that's been a big decision, right? But I don't know where you are, right? I can't control your behavior. I can control my driver's behavior. So, you know, you order a pickup and, you know, I don't know where you are. I don't know when you're coming. I don't know what you're going to do, you know? So, you know, we don't we don't do that just do delivery
1: that makes so much sense just to cut out that variable of not knowing when somebody's going to be in
2: yeah there's no benefit to you to do pickup like you're not saving any money and the experience is going to be better you know i walk by chipotle almost every day you know in my office you know we have chipotle right around the corner and you know there are bags and bags bags of food just sitting there and yeah. nobody cares. Like, you know, right. you're not saying, like, that's old food. Like, don't ship it. I, we have a motto. I have a tattoo that says don't ship maybes, right? And a maybe is food that sat for more than three minutes. Mm. In our in our facility. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah there you uh, go. <laughs> I dig that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. So it's, um, you know, like, we don't ship maybes. And if food is sitting around waiting for you to show up to pick it up, that's a maybe.
1: That's been the training, though, that we've been getting as customers is that.
2: Well, that's what Chipotle wants you to do, right? Because they can't afford to deliver it. They don't have a system. And I'm not just picking on Chipotle, but, you know, all of these companies. But, you know, Chipotle is great, right? We're going to put in Chipotle lanes and we're going to optimize everything to cut out delivery because we can't make money on delivery. We are making money on delivery. We're, I believe, the only people in the world making money on delivery with no fees.
0: Pretty, pretty impressive.
2: That's
1: revolutionary, borderline, I'd say. How are I'm you going to change the world? How are you going to change the world for everybody else now? <laughs> we need this to change the mentality, mindset, and practices of of everybody because it's still, it's the Wild West for
2: online ordering and delivery. Right. And that's the thing. When we launch, you know, it takes about a year because, you know, we don't have a recognizable brand yet and, you know, we're not carrying a recognizable brand. But, When we are in a market, we win, and and we can see the customer retention. Like our customer cohorts are amazing, you know, that in year one, a customer spends $212. In year five, they spend almost $700, right? Hmm. I mean, they stick with us. Once you've had our experience, you're just not going back to DoorDash. You know, the way we're expanding is we're going to be launching a franchise program. Um, So we will be selling franchises to folks that want to
0: open cluster trucks in a town near you I hope I'll look forward to seeing one because I think it's uh the model and, and just to jump in on a couple of things with before you're talking about the pickup scenario and I can tell you from working in the kitchen when you say the guest says I'll be there at 5:30 you're shooting for 5:25 you you don't want to be late in the kitchen because you don't want the guest right. standing there you don't and so as a cook we're looking at making sure we're we're hitting our time a little early we're we're not waiting till the end and that's the big difference that you, you've pointed out there, the kitchen. Now I'm a kitchen guy. So you said to me 90 items, that's a yes. lot of stuff. And w- you talk about organization, uh, the term that chefs, mise and place, everything in this place, you've got to really have some people focused on that because you, you don't have 90, you know, you've got a limited amount of chefs that are working multiple items out of stations, that coordination alone and just making sure that those people are hitting their times, things have to be ready. Backups have to be ready. There can't be delays in
2: right. cooking processes. So, so, you know, we had to build our own kitchen management system. Um, we have our own screens, you know, so everything is coordinated. Um, we cook based on cooking style, not cuisine style. So, you know, unlike a ghost kitchen, like a you know, cloud kitchen where here's my Mexican kitchen, here's my Asian kitchen, here's my vegetarian kitchen. You know, if it's fried, it's fry. If it's flat top, it's flat top. If it's saute, it's saute. Um, and they only see in that station, they don't see an order, right? They only see an item and they cook that item. And there's a timer on that item because we know how long that food should take to cook. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we try to take everything, um, you know, we try to take everything in the head of a 25 year experienced expo, Right. You know, the person that's running the kitchen who's now shouting and barking and causing stress and drop that, where's my, give me that, start this, right? You know, that's all data, right? And we put that into our algorithm for when to cook and how to cook and how long it should take. And we can learn like our cooks, right? So if today it's John and tomorrow it's Jose on the station. And we know Jose is two minutes faster on this dish than John
0: you know, like you've got it down to that.
2: <laughs> absolutely. You know, we started our first kitchen in Indianapolis um, in 2016 and we did hundred orders in the first couple of days and it brought us to our knees and then it went to 200 orders and then it went to 400 orders. And now we do close to a thousand orders a day there. Um, hmm. And we've never changed anything in the kitchen except we had to add more storage, but it's always been software. It's all been the, the system and the machine learning um, to be more efficient and, and huh. make it work. I think we might have added one fryer in, in the six years we've been doing that there.
0: So if John's having a bad day and he's a little slow, you're sensing that and your, your algorithms are accommodating yep. as you go. Yeah. Wow. Right.
2: And it's just a color-coded thing. And all of a sudden, you know, the pad ties are going from green to red, you know, and there's not a lot we can do in the moment, but we can add two minutes to the algorithm to say, okay, anyone huh. who orders pad thai, you know, know it's going to be two minutes longer right now. And we can also, and from a management standpoint, then you can also go back, right? Cause the managers are getting all the reports to say, Hey, man, John was off his game yesterday. What happened? And, and you know, you can deal with that and maybe the timing is wrong. Maybe the algorithm was wrong and you know, or maybe had one burner on a six burner stove out that, you know, yeah. like, what, what happened? Right. Uh. Well, it, it,
1: I, I love it because it, it accounts for variables that are unseen by the algorithm and it, it allows adapt for it, but it also allows people to be human. <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to be a little bit slower this day or a little bit quicker that day. And, and it, it adjusts so that the whole train doesn't get derailed. But speaking of all that software and, and all the precise uh, auto uh, measurements and automation, are you looking at additional forms of automation in any of your kitchens, like uh, any any type of uh, robotics that you've entertained?
2: Yes. And, and, you know, you guys are in the equipment business. So, uh, you know, we introduced um, conveyor ovens um, and a specific brand of conveyor oven that isn't yours. Uh, maybe you have one we should look at, but uh, but um, of course you should look at. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the um, um, as we get into the suburbs, like from an urban standpoint, we have a set volume, a thousand orders a day. You know, I can have. When we started, we basically built like cheesecake factory kitchens. Like right? we hired people from cheesecake from from Roos Chris. Like what instead of like this, you know, vegan organic highbrow, you know, sh- celebrity chef. You know, we wanted high consistent quality, like a Roos Chris, right? Like these people, like it's good food, right? Is it like the most extreme fanciest food you ever saw in your life? No, but it's high volume and high quality. And that's what we're shooting for. And that's the kind of kitchens we built and the kind of people we hire. As we move into suburbs, the volume of the kitchen gets smaller. So suddenly, you know, having a 12 man line didn't make sense, you know, when the kitchen is doing $25,000 Twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars a week instead of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a week. So we started introducing these conveyor ovens with a temperature variability top and bottom, time variability, and you know I challenged our executive chef Tim McIntosh to say, you know, you have to make pad thai in that oven, and you know he said, Chris, I can't do it. It's impossible. And four months later, he served me pad thai that was indistinguishable from the other pad thai. You know, we're making hamburgers and you know, so that's the, the kind of human plus technology that we're adding into. You know, a lot of people, again, I think are, are making this leap, you know, to robots and, and, and the, the perception of innovation, right, or disruption. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for a thousand years, we've been flipping hamburgers on a flat top. And, you know, along comes a robot that can flip a hamburger. You know, that's incremental change, right? I'm doing the same thing with the machine you know, disruptive changes, how do I do it completely differently, right? Get rid of the flat top. So suddenly we take our kitchens from 2,500 square feet down to a thousand square feet um, or less. Um, I think our smallest kitchen is around 600 square feet. Um, Still be able to make 90 items, still have the same high quality, but you know, a lot of automation and innovation has to come into that kitchen. You know, so I wouldn't say we have any robots yet. And, you know, we're open-minded to it. But, um, you know, a lot of what we're having is just how do we be more efficient with the people. Um, and, um, And, you know, one of the nice things about our kitchens in this environment of labor is we're the best kitchen to work in as well. Right? Like not just best driver job, but also best cook job. There is no expo. No one's yelling at them. There are no customers. There are no waitresses. There are no tables to wipe down. All you have to do is bang. Just cook your food. And, you know, it's quiet. Even when we're massively rushed, there's music playing in the kitchen because everybody's quietly just cooking. And most good cooks, they don't want the distraction. They just want to cook food.
0: Well, that's a very different experience. You're right than a high volume restaurant uh, for the cook to be. Just looking at a screen I see and then told when to fire something versus the expediter or the other chefs hollering out to what they need and servers yelling where it is and right. very different environment. But sounds pretty nice.
1: <laughs> I got to say. I bet you can get into the zone, you know, a lot easier.
2: Yeah, exactly. They're in the zone. I don't have a ton of kitchen experience, but when people come in, like that's keep it, folks like you that know what they're doing, that's one of the first things they marvel at. It's so quiet.
0: You know? Yeah. <laughs> you talk about uh, technology or the uh, robots in the kitchen. What about some of the delivery methods? Is that something you're looking at? Like we see the, the mobile, uh, maybe thinking of drones and all that kind of stuff, or you're just thinking that human element and the driver? I mean, I'm open-minded to see what the future brings, but, you know, uh,
2: a robotic cooler moving at four miles an hour down a sidewalk doesn't solve my time problem, Right. Um, you know a drone you know again in a lunch like today in indianapolis we probably did you know just in an hour and a half two hours i haven't seen the numbers yet but i would say 450 orders Mm. like how many drones do i need to do that and you know the drone has to hover it has to land it has to drop the food i don't know where the customer is again i'm just going to drop the food and hope the customers you know like i don't understand any of it. i mean i see the buzz about it and you know, but, um, you know, I got bikers that can do eight jobs an hour, you yeah. know, and, you know, I don't, I don't know how you could beat that efficiency.
1: Coming back to what you said, I really like the term that you use, the the perception of disruption. A lot of people are quick to, to jump in and buy in on the hype. And yeah, you know, I think it's, it's good to do that, to progress uh, certain technologies and, and certain mindsets. But Yeah, I like where your guys' heads at in the sense of like, well, if we're not fundamentally changing something to improve upon it, it doesn't need to be in the workflow.
2: I'm glad those folks are out there R and D in all of this, and as soon as it's ready, if it can make my life better, we'll license it. You know, but we don't need to be inventing it. You know, you go spend your billions of dollars on it. (laughs) You know,
0: right? No, and uh, the thing I also wanted to comment on your drivers. You know what? I I never thought of it before, but you're right. I mean, all the steps that a driver needs to go through, park your car, find a spot. Some places might have a nice spot designated. Get out, go in the restaurant, wait, grab the food, come out, get back in, do the whole thing, up to the apartment door. Picking it up and just uh, meeting the guest outside has got to be a huge time saver for a driver as well. Just that ease of being able to pull up and there's your guest.
2: When you think about these cloud kitchens, these ghost kitchens, and, and they talk about their waiting room for the driver. And it's like, dude, if you got a driver waiting, you're doing it wrong, right? Yep. Like, like, you know, we've got Coke machines and lounge chairs and they can plug their phone in. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, again, there's something fundamentally broken right. with your system. If you've got a driver sitting, they don't make any money sitting. So, you, you know, whether they can charge their phone or not, if I'm not making money, I'm not doing this job.
0: So do your drivers have a drive up at your location? Is that how they get their orders or do they come in yeah, get
2: They Yeah, they pull up. No, they stay in their car. They pull up yep, to a door usually and, you know, we hand them food. So they're pulling up, we hand them the food and, you
1: know. Just just, driving around. That's, just, it seems so simple, but, you know, the amount of time that you shave, them getting out of their car every time. But then I think it's also a reasonable expectation and trade-off for, for the customer to walk out of their house (laughs) and go to a vehicle to pick their, their order.
2: I think in my mind, it was the single biggest risk because that was not something we could test, right? Mm. Like either the customer will come out or they won't come out. And honestly, I can count on two hands in over 2 million deliveries complaints we had for people who had to come out. Like the, the customer has never really said a word about it. And, you know, to them, it's actually, you know, I don't want this person coming up to my right. tour and my house my you know so again it's the, the the customers embraced it and again it's I. that's what keeps me up at night is this all seems so obvious why isn't everyone doing it this way when i was in chicago i worked for donnelly catalog business right sears was my customer right in the late 80s 1987 1990 sears was like number seven on the fortune 500 right the dawn of the internet the first way i got online was prodigy which was a sears product right wow. um and you know but everything for them was incremental right this is like an extra business the internet you know my business is the store and then the catalog and then this e-commerce thing even though they had the warehouse and the distribution the, you know they were shipping houses to wisconsin in the 1800s um, um you know along comes amazon and just let's just vertically integrate this and let's, you know, solve all these problems at once and make it core and still everything that's happening. You know, now I need ghost kitchens. I need an integration system like an Olo for my POS system, plus my three other apps for, you know, drivers, you know, then I have all these drivers that aren't related to me. And then, you know, I mean, it's like suddenly, Oh, now I got ghost brands, right? So now, you know, what are there eight different partners? Yeah. to successfully deliver food um, and everyone wants their nickel and you know, the restaurant business, there just aren't that many nickels to go around. That's right. <laughs> um, you know, but again, that's, everyone's doing it because it's the only thing and that's what keep you know, makes us so excited is like, man, you've got this business that is growing like mad and nobody is happy with the incumbent solution, right? The drivers aren't happy. The customers aren't happy. Like they're rating them all one star they're still doing it, but they're not happy and the restaurants aren't happy.
0: And who are they and rating the one star is the other part of that, right? The restaurant. That's who takes the ding on it.
2: Yeah. I mean, you can go to Trustpilot and type in DoorDash and it's one point two stars. You know, it's yeah. But it's, the rest- it's yeah, and the restaurants, right? The food was cold, uh, you know, yep. like you know. Yep. And again, they put- the poor the poor beaten down driver <laughs> is like, <laughs> right. you know, it's just, you know, it's it's a broken system, I think.
0: Yeah, that's the whole thing from the restaurants perspective, is if that food gets there and it's not good. They're the ones that are in the customer's mind provided the bad food. They, they know nothing of the process in between the order and they're receiving it. They just know that the food they got didn't meet their expectations.
2: Right. And then you have the data problem, right? Which, uh, yeah. the very first thing I saw with Grubhub, like in my background, is data driven marketing, right? Like that's mm-hmm. what Exact Target was, that's what Compendium was. The, the, the idea that they have my data means they're going to compete with me. Right. Yeah. Um, they know all that now, and now they're openly bragging about it right now. They're starting their own ghost brands or they're partnering with ghost kitchens. And, you know, um, you know, we're going to do the research to see that hamburgers are consumed in this neighborhood and they like a hamburger just like mine, but they're going to spin up some fake brand now to compete with me. Right. With my own customer. Right. And that's, right. that's the evil empire of this. Right.
1: I Do you think that was always a goal or did that just kind of like boil up, you know, and was it a, did they conjure that after they were collecting all this data or do you think it was, it it was a lot more sinister with their intentions of third party delivery? I don't know. That's, I,
2: I I mean, if I think about DoorDash, you know, I believe Tony, like I believe, you know, that he grew up in his mother's restaurant and wanted to help restaurants and thought there was a business doing this. You know, he didn't come from the data marketing, data analytics, data background but you know when the business model doesn't work and you get big enough and you take enough money you start to have to do things to make the organism survive right you know and the business model doesn't work right I mean I think DoorDash I'm a DoorDash shareholder Tony by the way if you're listening Uh, (laughs) you know my stock is in half of what it was it's it's 50 percent of the IPO price maybe 42 percent of the IPO price or something like that I mean you know, the the business model fundamentally is very, very difficult.
1: It doesn't seem to be working for anybody, and it's just surprising how it just keeps keeps going on. From chaos comes clarity. I'm a firm believer in that mentality.
2: <laughs> well, I, yeah. I hope the franchise community thinks the same thing. So.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. How well, soon are you thinking of? I, I missed it, I'm sorry. But how soon are you thinking of putting that together? Um, we're working on our
2: documentation right now. We've got some software work to do to make it, you know, um, a non, well, it's going to be truck branded, but, you know, we've just got a little more work to do, but we think between three and four months.
0: Oh, wow. Interesting. Very cool. Yeah. Wow. That'll be interesting to see. And so Justin and I, we were talking before the show, of course, and Cluster Truck. talk about that a little bit. Where did that come <laughs> from and how did you get to that? It's yeah, a great name. Big fan of the name, by the oh, way. Thank I you. love it.
2: <laughs> well, it's ironic the way the world has turned, but... Part of me becoming informed about food and restaurants and things like that is I had a friend who had a food truck and a very, very popular food truck. I think it was rated number seven in the country. Wow. And and Mm -hmm. he told me um, that uh, when one food truck is out, they make a dollar. And when six food trucks are out together, they all make a dollar 50, right? People want to have that variety and you go your way, I'll go my way. We'll meet back here. Um, And they called those events cluster trucks, like multiple trucks together. So my original idea, which is funny because now NextBite's worth a billion dollars and we're not, but you know, was, (laughs) we're going to license food truck recipes um, and have the food trucks be our marketers. Like I thought, well, okay, the food truck's out there and they're going to tweet every single day. Hey, scratch truck's going to be in the corner of Maple and 14th Street today, come by for lunch. If you can't make it, order a scratch truck from cluster truck and have a link in their tweet. So I'd have all these food trucks out there all promoting cluster truck. Right. And you know, I tried to talk to them about like a record label. I can't come to the concert today, but I still want to hear that song. The problem with that was that there's no margin, right? You can't afford to pay these, you know, commissions to these recipe developers. Plus, food trucks have a very short life expectancy, right? My friend is no longer a food truck, right? So investing in that, um, you know, plus how do you make your kitchen operate when everyone has their own speck of ground beef or chicken or, Mm. you know, you've got to, and that was my cheesecake lesson. Um, So the name stuck, but the business model did not. You know, Mm. we didn't have a Mexican truck that was any good in Indy, right? Um, Marginal pizza truck, you know, we had a really good Indian truck, but you know, so you're starting to pick and choose and it's like, no, we need to build a menu from scratch. You know, we think of it as street food style, right. You know, kind of clever, fast casual food. Um, but that's where the name come, came from. Hmm. And it turns out nobody had trademarked the name and the domain was easily available as well, which shocked
1: me. Wow. That is yeah. really shocking yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> to have the type of numbers that, that you guys are doing as far as the time the food takes to get made to the time it gets to the customer. It's almost unbelievable. I remember when Jimmy John's, you know, freaky fast mm-hmm. and they, they, they were like 15 minute window and that was just for sandwiches. Right. And it, I mean, but you guys are doing it with a way more complicated menu. It, I'm a little flabbergasted at, at, and that the solution to it was software. And, and maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but.
2: Well, I mean, there's a huge culinary aspect to this, right? Absolutely. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, how do you do this? And, and you know, again, I started with food trucks. Then I was like, you know, being software person, Google's cafeteria, right? Like this is world renowned to have super high quality food, but they still make pizzas and they still make pad thai and they still make vegetarian dishes and, the, you know, burgers. And, and how do they do it? You know, and I learned there, you know, well, it's a lot of shared ingredients, you know, and then somebody introduced me to Cheesecake Factory. So I think part of it is not coming from a food background, mm. you know, where, you know, we can take enough from the existing food industry, but also, you know, ha- ask why. Like, we're not tied, because again, this is the difference between disruption and incremental in all of this. I don't know if you ever read The Innovator's Dilemma, Clayton Christensen, but greatest business book ever written. But, um, you know, he talks about how most disruption comes from the bottom, right? And uh, um, you take the smallest problem and big companies, or even in this industry you're seeing this like, you know, I mean, I look at Domino's, right? And, you know, in, in some respects, it's like, are you not embarrassed that DoorDash exists? Like, weren't you guys the pioneers in hot prepared food delivery? But they think they're in the pizza business, right? We make pizza, right? We're not, you know, it's the buggy web story, right? You know, we think we're in the pizza business, not the Mm -hmm. hot prepared. We're not going to make Chinese food. Okay, well, so somebody else is going to take this trillion dollar space. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, um, you know, I think being able to come from the outside has been an advantage for us. But then also, you know, once we stumbled onto Cheesecake Factory, um, you know, and their model, like Cheesecake has, what, 160 items on it and massive volumes, right? I think cheesecake is still the biggest, you know, of chains, individual revenue, you know, per unit. I think they're $13 million a unit on average, you know, the next closest competitor is like Magianos at eight, you know? So, mm. you know, and people love that broad menu. Everyone loves being able to sit down and, and eat what they want. You know, when we were starting, you know, people saying, you know, you know, the, the hardest decision in ordering is who do we want to order from, right? Not, you know, well, I feel like, you know, and, you know, we do a lot of offices, as I said, but even in the pandemic, you know, where a lot of our advisors were like, you know, you need to make family meals, you know, and like roast chicken and mashed potato, you know, and that didn't go over at all. The family is still just like everybody else. One kid wants chicken fingers, another one wants pizza, you know, the dad wants a calm salad, the mom wants pad thai, you know, where can I get that all together and not not and not batched and not made from different kitchens and then brought together, but made in a system that makes sure they're all done at the same time. They're all going to be equally hot, fresh, and delicious.
1: A a lot of people who see other restaurants with a large number of items, at least me, I have this bias of like, oh, well, they've got a lot. Yeah, Yeah. it's like a jack of all trades, master of none. So, So that's something I'm also glad to see that, You know, that that mold is being broken, but you guys were never challenged with, we've always done it that way mentality, kind of the point that you are making before. You didn't have to fight that. You didn't have to fight old lions of doing it a certain way for 60 years and uh, it really allowed a fresh uh, take and viewpoint.
2: And that's like the innovator's dilemma, right? It's like, no, we are this kind of business or we build our business on that. I mean, again, you take the third party deliveries, you know, and they're creeping towards this, but- would they start, start creating their own brands and building their own kitchens and staffing their own kitchens with their own brands, you know, that's going to completely disrupt their restaurant business, right? If I see DoorDash competing with me and my little hamburger stand, I'm going to take my business to Uber Eats, right? Until Uber Eats is forced to, you know what I mean? It's, it's, that's their innovator's dilemma. They've got this massive business built on serving restaurants. And as soon as they break that trust, you know that business is going to shrink faster than the new business is going to be able to grow. And that's what mm. Clayton Christensen calls the innovator's dilemma.
0: Are you looking at the software that you have and using it into a more traditional setting? As far as a white tablecloth, people still want to go out to eat. You still want to set at a table together on a Saturday night. Are there things that you see in a restaurant that you could talk to an operator about, A, is there something that just drives you crazy that's a, a kind of an easy fix with some technology that's out there? Or, B, are you using this timing model that you have with all these algorithms and understanding how a kitchen can work in developing something that can help a oh, yeah. restaurant?
1: Yeah, like licensing uh, your software for right. other applications.
0: Because if you think about it, the server is really your driver.
2: That's right. He's, he is my front of house. She is my front of
0: house. Right. right. So the kitchen... Coming everything together on that ticket at once is the challenge. And that's usually one chef or an expediter, somebody yelling out. But if if there's a way to use your system to help a, a white tablecloth, we'll call it a nice restaurant where you want more efficiency in that kitchen. Do you see things like that?
2: One of the hardest things, and there's a great book I read 20 years ago called Why Software Sucks. And and the reason <laughs> software sucks is this mission creep, Right. And then we can do this and then we can do that. And then we can do this. And that's been a, you know, even like with this Kroger relationship where we tested pickup and things and just was like, you know, we're not good at it. We don't add anything to the party. Um, you know, we have to stick to this vertically integrated system that, you know, cause I do look around, I look at funded software companies that do some things we do. We build our own um, cost system, right? We call it Murphy. And, you know, Murphy, you know, I can see when my orders come in and I can see that the price of meat went up two cents and I can instantly add two cents to every item that has that item on the menu, right? Nobody has to touch it, right? Like some of that stuff's really magical, but, you know, as a standalone component, maybe I could sell that to other restaurants. I don't know. But, you know, for us, it's really all about coming together with the best delivery package on earth. You know, that's what Mm -hmm. we do. And so, and that's, you know, as we start to talk to franchisees, you know, that's, that's really what we're offering.
0: Right.
2: Okay. Uh, And we don't feel like we compete with restaurants in that respect. Right. You know, most restaurant delivery is in fact incremental, right. Most restaurants, you know, do very, you know, maybe it's 10, maybe it's 20% of their business is delivery, you know, now through third parties, Mm -hmm. you know, our competitors are really the third parties, right? Sure. I still want to go out to dinner. I went out to dinner last night. In fact, I'm going out to dinner with friends tonight again. So, you know, it's like, you know, I just want, I just want you to order from Cluster Truck once a week
0: yeah, and and we'll be good. Restaurants, (laughs) the the challenge is, is still the, that, um, the timing of things. I can tell you in the kitchen, again, the, the the challenge to get that ticket together at once on is still, is still a bit of a challenge. And yeah, it's really hard.
1: You're relying on the expertise of that, of that chef and that server and, and all of them working harmoniously. And a lot of people have it down pat. But then you have a lot of new people, and especially in the the labor crisis that we're experiencing right
2: now, right. exactly in the turnover and
1: yeah, you don't have that expertise. You you got somebody who's as green as the day is long, and uh, a little a little code of software could probably go a long way with how things reach the customer
2: food sitting in the window and you're sitting at the table and you're just like, I can see my food. I know that's you know? mine. <laughs> right. I know, and, I see and, it. <laughs> and that's the thing. You know, our average delivery time, like I said, we go six to seven minutes maximum. Our average delivery from cook to customer is, is 4.7 minutes. Hmm. Um, like you're not getting your food that fast in a restaurant, right? You know, I mean, maybe in a Chipotle, but still, that's probably, if you think about it, by the time you get down the line, you know, your burrito is going to sit there while you're waiting for the cashier to take care of the customer ahead of you and the customer ahead of that person. Mm-hmm. It's probably still sitting for three minutes before you actually have it in your hand yeah. and own it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's just delivering in in a very competitive time frame to being served.
1: Yeah. Rich, I think we just need to make a trip and go stay down at a hotel just so we can try this out. <laughs> please, I please. want to experience
2: this.
0: <laughs> it would be
2: cool. Well, we had the NCA tournament, you know, here in Indy, um, you know, back in what was that March Madness, you know, and the whole tournament was here for the month. And I mean, it was crazy, like 1500 orders a day and feeding entire teams because they were all in the bubble. And, you know, there were select vendors that could feed them. And it was, it was, it was very, very fun.
0: Cool. Well, it it sounds amazing. And I can't wait to experience one. I think it's uh, what you've done is, is really brought, like you said, all these things together. And the the way that the algorithm sounds like it works to really improve the quality of the delivery experience for your customer. Fantastic. I, I can't wait to experience it. I think it's going to be great. Yeah.
1: And the future of it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in six months, a
0: year, two years. Yeah. Well,
2: well You guys are in the space. So if you know any big potential franchisees, uh, send them my way.
0: we Will do. Absolutely. There's, Absolutely. A,
2: there's a commission in it.
0: Oh, All even right. Better. Hey. Yeah. I'm suddenly more motivated. <laughs> <Three> cookies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris. I we've kept you longer than we talked about as far as uh, your time commitment today. Anyway, I thank you so much for hanging in there with us. It's been it's really been interesting, and and um, you bring to light some of those things that yeah we should have seen, but why didn't we? Right? It's just really cool stuff. Thank you again for your time. Well, thank you. As we talk with our guests at the end of our show, we always like to get something that um, maybe a quote or something someone's just something you live by, a mantra or something that inspires you, drives you. Do you have something like that you could share with our customer or excuse me, our guests today?
2: (laughs) Um, You know, I follow the podcast, so I I knew this question was coming. But
0: thank you. You know,
2: there's a quote I've used for a long time. Um, um, I used to have it even as my email signature. Um, it's Thomas Edison, and he says that opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. And, um, you know, it just always struck me that, you know, you still got to do the work, blocking and tackling. And most of this is incredibly unglamorous. And, uh, you know, and that's so that has always inspired me to pick up your lunch pail and get to work.
0: Hmm. Good old fashioned hard work still pays off, right? Amen. No magic bullets. Yeah, no, nothing like that.
2: Six-year six, six overnight sensation.
0: <laughs> Lots of hard work, and and you know, sometimes just the the, the ability to sit back and as we said, you're you're not from this industry. You weren't born in it. It didn't uh, uh, something you've lived in for a long time. You weren't. you were looking at it fresh, and that that comes to some good ideas. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks very much. Again, thanks for everything today, Chris. We wish you the best. And again, I can't wait to, to experience one of your restaurants. Appreciate it very much. Please
2: come down to India any, anytime. You're always welcome.
0: We'll do it. Thank you. All right. All
2: right. Thank you. Take all. care.
0: Bye-bye. Justin. Um, you know, wow, he, he's put it together, huh? We, we we have fun with talking about all the the ways that uh you know we'd like to see delivery and you know, personal drive-up windows at your home, so you don't even have to leave your home and all that kind of stuff. But he's really <laughs> thinking about all these innovations and timing and how everything just should be able to be timed and come together at a point. Why can't it? And then you do that and then the food is fresh and it goes to Mm -hmm. the first driver available and out they go and people are waiting for them in their driveways and they get hot food and they run right in their house and
1: fantastic. Well, and I particularly liked what he said about, you know, the perception of disruption, you know, and in the sense that a lot of your real innovation and things that are going to change the way people do things are not going to be glamorous by and large. It's not going to be this big, beautiful robot that uh, has a great big smile and cooks all your food and delivers it to you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not going to be something fantastic like that, uh, that, that makes the real changes.
0: Right. And well, and what happened in today's show happens to me just about every show. It, it's just so fun to talk to the guest and you get into their conversation and you start listening and, and, and focusing in on what they're telling you, that, um, you know, here we are at the recap point. And I'm thinking, I got to think about all the things that happened. But I know our friend Nate has wrote them all <laughs> down and he's there in the wings waiting. <laughs> here we go. Now, everyone sit back and enjoy Nate's recap. Nate, take it away.
3: Uh, first of all, I'm with you guys that my mind is just blown. It's not. He makes it seem so easy. And theoretically, what I appreciated about his approach was that it was very common sense driven. But I think we, we need to reassure our listeners that what he's doing is executing on that is not easy. It's not easy. It takes a lot of planning. But it's just, I love the no nonsense. I love that it wasn't, I love that it wasn't flashy. It was just common sense and being executed very well and in a thoughtful way. And I think it just a takeaway for anyone and anything in life. It's just the importance of planning. And critical thought, if you think ahead about stuff and and eliminate the things that don't make sense, it's amazing how efficient you can be. And in some cases, in this case, how profitable you can be. But the other thing, I had a huge, stupid smile on my face when he was talking about the algorithms and talking about, and Rich, you asked the question about, about robots. And I thought to myself that this is this is what I felt Chris gets that a lot of people don't. Everyone hears about automation in the kitchen. They instantly think about robots flipping burgers. But what automation in the kitchen really looks like is the data Chris is using. That's what it is. Everyone's so worried about salad bars and and um, line cooks, short order cooks being replaced by robots and vending machines and whatever. And no one's thinking about, well, how can I gather information I probably already have and give it to people who work for me who need it? And to use it in an efficient way, and I just I, so many people are so stuck on the robots that nobody thinks about the data. Well, Chris thinks about the data, and it works. So I think that's what I really took away. It was a lot of no nonsense. It was practical. Everything he said it was incredibly practical, and that kind of surprised me. For how much goes into what he does and the organization that it takes, nothing he said seemed impossible to me. Um, I'm sure it's not easy to do, but. It was very, very practical and straightforward. And sometimes the simple, hardworking solutions are the best ones.
0: Right. You know, we talk about robots, if you have a task that needs to get done over and over and over, and you've got all day to do it, a robot makes sense. But I tell you, I'll race any robot there is. I can, I can <laughs> just do those tasks faster than a robot when it's crunch time, when it's, you know, getting that hamburger off the grill and onto a bun. A robot just can't do it as fast. It just doesn't... I'll take the bet anytime. time. Um, so yeah, the, the the technology that he's using is is really being been put to use. And I think of the chaos that sometimes happens in a kitchen. I just am amazed that he's able to get everything timed together correctly. And it must just be an incredible amount of standardization and prep that he knows exactly how thick that burger is, how hot the grill is, that it's going to cook it in this amount of time buzzer goes off the cook takes it off the grill or however it happens that the, they take it off the grill it's got to just be incredible to watch i'm really anxious mm. to see one of these in action
1: the amount of precision that goes into it it's not rigid it, it, it breathes you know it, 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 it allows for flexibility you know like that allows for the human element and to flex on that so that it doesn't cause a train wreck mm-hmm. so if if something is a little off or a little slow or a little fast, it can adapt accordingly.
0: Which means, I guess he's got he backs out from the time that it. I'm guessing it it backs out from the time that the order hits the window. But there's got to be a signal to alert the system that the orders hit the window. What does that mean? Does the chef have to hit a button? Do they? Does a, someone gather up the uh, order, put it in a bag, and hit you know the driver button? <laughs> there's a time, and then everything <laughs> backs out from there. Again, I can't wait to see one of these in action.
1: Well, I, you know, one piece of technology I could see coming into play is some sort of augmented reality, something that is a little hype, but you know, something that would would uh, eliminate a screen and give you real time stats that that you're is always in front of your face, and yeah, you, know, you got your own heads up display.
0: So what is, what did he call it? We call it scope creep, but he called it something else. Where you start you know what uh, if it could do, software this? Creep it or, could do that yeah. You know yeah
1: <laughs> I'm, that's always where i go oh he's and listening then right this, now chris i know you're this. listening
0: to the show <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to it and repeat uh <laughs> you're thinking yes uh, uh well. all right well guys uh great one really good thank you and uh justin any parting words from you
1: Yeah. As always, I'd like to remind everyone to please click that subscribe button so that you never miss another moment with a chef or food service industry professional again. And while you're at it, if you would also take the time to share what we have going on here with a friend, a family member, a coworker, somebody that
0: you think would benefit from the conversations that take place here. Super. And thank you everyone again. Uh, appreciate it. You're listening in on it and um, let us know what you think. If there's something that uh, you want to hear on the feed, you want us to consider a change or anything at all, please reach out to us at Foodservice.com slash the feed. Now at this point of the show, normally I have this quote from my dad and I've changed it just kind of randomly, but close to our one year point again. And I, I didn't have anything right away that came up as far as a, a quote, other than my dad would always say, it's not about the money. I just want a place that people can relax Enjoy a good meal and have fun. And I'll bet if you follow that philosophy, uh, the rest kind of falls in, right? You just Mm. have a good place for people to come in and enjoy things. So that's what he wanted. Well, again, thanks everyone for listening. Have a great week ahead. Until next time, take care.